0: Well, all right. Well, thank you for joining us here today. Thank you for being a part of our church family online or being here in person. Uh, once again, if you missed the information, we're going to be changing location uh, from this is our last Sunday here. Then we're going to Odessa Elementary back to our Uh, previous location, and so that information will be on our website. The address will be there. Should something change, uh, we'll let you know via our website. So all you got to do is check our website before you show up next Sunday, and you'll know where to go. And so we're grateful for that. Also, following today's service, we have, I think it's four more people getting baptized. We had five in our first, and we did doing four today. So nine people today getting baptized. Amen and so if if you're a volunteer here, by the way, would you just lift your hand where you are if you got a, if you're a volunteer here, you serve here at any point uh, so yeah, so there are <laughs> there are volunteers, I know it and uh, listen, if you are thank you, if you are volunteering <laughs> in our church. Don't miss this moment to just watch what your hard work does. I mean, for all of you who give support, pray for brave, or if you serve at brave, I mean, what we do today is the reason why we do what we do, to see those lives change. So make sure you join us following service. We'll be right outside, right behind me, outside underneath the awning. Join us for baptisms. It'll be a great... Uh, time together. All right. Well, today we're in part two of our series called Living Like Jesus. And today I want to talk to you about this big F word. And the F word that I'm going to talk about is forgiving. Some of you went to a whole nother place because you're not a Christian, but... So we're like, is he going to preach on that? All right, so this is forgiveness, okay? And it's John chapter 8. And in this series, what I want you to understand, what I'm hoping you get from this talk today, is not necessarily, you you may look at, you know, your life and say, I don't want to live like that. But my hope today is that you would simply learn how Jesus forgives, how he forgave when he was here on earth and how he still forgives today. My hope is maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you are jumped to church for the first time or maybe back in a long time, whatever the case may be. I just hope that something, how today you look at the life of Jesus and say, man, that's pretty incredible. That's how Jesus forgives. So today we're looking in at how Jesus forgave. John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be. And I'll start with verse 2. It says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts. So that gives us the setting. It says, Where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. And so Jesus is consistently throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus teaching people and he's teaching them specifically in this context. And we're going to see this unfold about the law. You say, what is the law? The laws are the first five books of the Bible. If you picked up a Bible today and you read Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the law. And in that law, there are 613 laws that people had to abide by in order to have a right standing or good relationship with God. And so the way you got closer to God, the kind of the more laws you had to abide by. And if you broke laws, then you weren't close. And so this is this whole law thing. Well, Jesus is talking to these Men, or maybe even some women around, but men who would teach the people about these laws, that you had to abide by these certain laws, and Jesus is teaching them the truth about these laws. And one of the things that the people didn't like about Jesus was he was a lawbreaker. He wasn't really abiding by the laws as they interpreted the law. They didn't see the law the way Jesus saw the law, and so there's a consistent kind of debate and teaching about this law. So Jesus is talking on the law, and these Uh, law leaders, these people who teach the law for a living, this is who they are. They decide they're going to set Jesus up and they bring in a woman who's caught in adultery. So it says this in verse three, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, I want you to notice this is not a fair trial. This isn't a real trial. It's kind of a mock trial to put Jesus, you know, kind of in a a tough place. So they say, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And you know the law of Moses and what it commands us to do. It says to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? What are you, what are you going to, how are you going to respond to this? And then John tells us that they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So a couple things you need to know. Number one, the Pharisees are in constant opposition to Jesus. They're constantly against him, trying to trap him. And their goal, you got to hear this, was to discredit Jesus. They're doing whatever they can to stop the movement of Jesus because Jesus is influencing their culture. And he's not helping their power nor their authority. Jesus is teaching about love. He's teaching about grace. He's teaching about servanthood. He's teaching about how women should have rights. He's teaching on how men and women are created equal. How, how there's love for all and how we shouldn't treat certain people certain ways. And it's getting in the way of their mission. And so they don't like it. So they're trying to discredit him in front of all of the people that are gathering, listening to him teach. So they bring this woman before Jesus and they ask him to weigh on the matters according to the Jewish law. Here's a couple things you also need to know about this. Number one, these men who brought this woman before Jesus aren't even treating the law accurately. That is to say that if in Jewish law in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Deuteronomy, it mentions that if someone's caught in the act of adultery, you need to bring the man and the woman to trial. Well, in this case, we don't see the man. It's like they're letting the man off completely go free, but the woman is the one being brought before the attention because there's no man in this story. And so Jesus is aware that they're trying to set him up with something because this isn't even, even a fair trial in that context. They're not even using the law correctly. So second thing you need to know, Uh, The Jewish law carefully stipulated evidence was needed. They're not bringing evidence to the table. They're simply saying, hey, Jesus, this woman caught adultery. There's no photographs. There's no video of this. There's no testimony. There's no witnesses to this. And so they're just trying to simply create some way that Jesus would fall into this trap in hoping that he would answer and respond to them in two ways. And here's the first one. Number one, if he said that the woman was guilty if he says stone her to death, here's what they were going to do. They would hand Jesus over to the Roman government and say, this man is sending a woman to death. Because based on Roman law, this, is not necess- this isn't the law. But if Jesus says stone her to death, then they're going to potentially try to have him arrested by the Roman officers saying, this guy's committed murder. Now, secondly, if he says, and they kind of thought this way, if he says, have compassion on her, which they thought that he might because they knew he was a God of compassion. So, if if they could get him to say, hey, let her go free or something like that, they will trap him and then he will not be fulfilling the Jewish law. And so, we've got him there. So, they're trying to really discredit Jesus. What I want you to see is this has nothing to do with the woman at all. These men are using this woman as a pawn to trap Jesus and to discredit him, to not allow his influence to continue to spread to people. Because people are starting to love one another. People are starting to serve one another. People are stop, are, are not are being as self-absorbed as they once were. People are starting to listen to what this man has to say. And people's lives are beginning to change. And they're beginning to realize they are loved by God. I mean, just, just imagine how he's influencing culture. They want to stop this movement. And so they try to get Jesus in this moment where he'll collapse and discredit his accounts. Because they don't want him to continue to influence culture that he was changing the way people dealt with other people. And so they used this woman as a pawn. Their goal was to, in this case, was simply not to kill the woman, but the goal was to remove the influence of Jesus. But Jesus being Jesus responds. here how he responds. Verse 6 says, But when Jesus bent down, he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said, Hey, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote some words on the ground. Now, a lot of people tried to decipher what he wrote. I'm just going to tell you the truth. The truth is no one knows what he wrote. If you ever hear a sermon preached on, here's what he wrote just say you're wrong no you don't know that for a fact so some people think that he wrote the names of somebody maybe he wrote their sins down their speculation and some of that could be true actually it's possible that he was actually writing whether or not she was guilty or not because that's often how judges would uh, decide in a case that they take their finger they'd write down their their you know their decision or the verdict in dirt and so maybe he's just writing down the verdict we don't know what he wrote that that's the bottom line because I think it's not important. I think it's intentional. It's not as as critical as to the statement that Jesus said. It's a powerful statement. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Here's what Jesus is doing in this moment, and it's really fascinating. I mean, this is maybe one of the first times, if not the first time, some of these people would have heard such an odd like, the, like, I can't believe he just said that. Here's what Jesus is introducing to the crowd and to his audience. He's introducing something called universal. If you would just imagine this, this universal guilt. He's introducing this idea that all of you are guilty. There's a universal guilt. In other words, none of you is perfect. No one is righteous. Now, some of these religious leaders would have worked their whole life making these 613 laws become without them. They would show up to church every Sunday. They didn't say any cuss words. They watched, you know, G movies. Like, you know, they didn't even drink soda. They were so good. They, They, you know, ate healthy. They never overate. They never told a lie. I mean, these people are like as prim and proper. They've worked their whole life Just imagine working so hard to try to please God by your behavior and Jesus shows up and says, hey, you are guilty too. You're guilty just as she is guilty. And and for some of them thought, I would never commit adultery. How terrible of you to compare me to her. Like that's not even close. I mean, yeah, one time when I was in third grade, I stole a pencil from that kid. But he was a punk. Like, it. you know, I know. But, you know, or, or you justify, you know, whatever. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, I told a little lie. But it really wasn't a lie. It was kind of like a half lie. I mean, but it was, but it was worth. Jesus is saying, all of you before God are guilty. In other words you're like really messed up. And I've I've said this in our church before. If you're a person who's not messed up, you're not going to fit in here. These are some of the most messed up people in this church you'll ever meet in your life. I just want you to know. And by the way, I'm one of the most messed up pastors you'll ever meet in your entire life. Let me just spare that now. I'm not even close to perfect. I just want you to know. In fact, I've dealt with so many sins in my life. Like there's there's envy in this room. Like you, some of you are so envious. Some of you are so jealous of Cody on the front row. You're just so jealous. I see it on your face. And, and their new love with Rachel, yeah, the mayor, yeah, they're Oh, look at their new marriage. It's so beautiful. Why isn't ours like that? Anyways, so, you know, you, you, you find yourself, you, some of you are so mean. You know, some of you tell lies, like, you lied this week. I mean, you're li- some of you lied. Like, you're so messed up. Some of you cheated out on people, or you, you like, you know, abused certain people, like you misused power, or you know, you got jealous, you, you get mad. Some of you even did this as kids, you disobeyed, you disobeyed your mom and your dad, like you disobeyed your parents. I mean, you are really messed up people. Yeah. Hey, here's, <laughs> I think just called somebody out, like, <laughs> the message we're preaching here. So we know who the Pharisee is. Okay, so let's be moving on. All right, <laughs> so, <laughs> bring him before the judge. You know. Okay. So Jesus is making a fascinating statement: universal guilt—that every single one of you is guilty before God. Not one of you is without sin against God. Meaning, not one of you—and here's the kicker—is without the necessity of forgiveness. Every single one of you needs forgiveness. There's not one person in this room who doesn't need forgiveness. Who doesn't at one point in their life need someone else to maybe even extend forgiveness to them. To suggest that you don't need forgiveness would be to suggest you've never done one thing wrong. And that's not true. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders, are just blown away by this. And upon making this statement, here's what they do. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left. Why? Because he's the only one who was without sin. No one else could stay around. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightens her up and he says, Woman. And this word woman in the context wasn't just woman, we see woman, but I think a better translation would be ma'am or madam. In other words, it would have been a proper way of saying, excuse me, ma'am, would you stand up? And he asked this woman this question and he says, has no one condemned you? Now Jesus knew the answer because they all just walked away. And she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And then he makes really interesting statement. Go and leave your life of sin. Now, some can speculate whether or not this woman actually committed adultery or not. And I can let you decide what you believe. But for me, in my view of this text, I think Jesus knew very well that she had committed adultery. Because he says, now go. In other words, and don't do that again. Watch this. Jesus let the guilty go free. She was guilty based off the text that I see. And Jesus said, now go and sin no more. As if that's even possible. To never sin again? But Jesus is pushing on something in the context of forgiveness. Stay with me on this. I want you to see the picture that is depicted in this story. The difference between the Pharisees who wanted so desperately to condemn the woman, and yet Jesus wanted to forgive. I think this story, and I chose this story to teach from in regards to forgiveness, because I think this gives us a great picture of humans versus Jesus. Our human tendency is to do what these, women, these men did. They wished to stone the woman to death and they were going to take pleasure in doing so. They knew the thrill of exercising power for condemnation. And yet Jesus knew the thrill and the power behind forgiveness. These men, I think, do what many people still do today and many of us still get trapped in. We love condemning. We lean towards condemnation oftentimes. We can't wait for someone to pay the price. You deserve to be punished. And enforcing that sentence upon somebody. And yet Jesus tended to push away from that and push towards forgiveness Jesus knew condemning people doesn't work. Have you ever decided to not forgive and it worked out better for you? Never. Condemning people, holding grudges doesn't work. So many people today are still trapped in unforgiveness. And the truth is, you're still not free from it. It doesn't work. Jesus knew that. And so what Jesus is trying to influence this culture, he's trying to teach this group of followers, these people around them, those who followed him and those who didn't, hey, y'all should pay attention to this. If you create an atmosphere of love, if you create an atmosphere of forgiveness, it actually will draw out the best in people. You'll be amazed what will happen to your society, and your culture, if a spirit of forgiveness takes over. And Jesus is trying to inflict change in the world that he's living in. When Jesus confronted the woman, he didn't say, you're a wretched and hopeless creature. His method was not to blast men and women about something they already knew. And that is, you're messed up. Why beat you when you're already on the ground? You already know you're not good. So why tell me again? Jesus said, I won't. You already know what you know. You're not perfect. And I'm not going to say that to you again. Because you already know it. You will condemn yourself more than Jesus will. Jesus says, I do not condemn you. I forgive you. He wanted to forgive her. Because he knew the potential that she had to become a saint if only she would follow him. It's a powerful story of forgiveness. In this moment, Jesus addresses the woman's two greatest needs, forgiveness and new life. He assured her that he who was without sin would not condemn her. And that she would be forgiven. And she could receive forgiveness and a new life. And that's exactly what Jesus gave her. I think this story presents a great picture of our human tendency to condemn and Jesus' tendency to forgive. I know for many of us, you look at that, you say, that just seems almost impossible. Like, Jesus just chose not to forgive. You say, well, he's Jesus. That's true. Is it possible for humans? I think it is. One of the questions that I had wrestle in my mind when I was writing the, the sermon out This question came to me, and I presented it to the staff on Tuesday, and I just asked the question, and thought, gosh, and I've been wrestling with it all week week long. The question that came to my mind was, how long does it take Jesus to forgive? What is the time period? Because for us, let's just, if we had an honest conversation, if we're sitting down having some coffee or something, talking, how... And someone hurt you. Most people, most of us have said this to somebody when somebody's hurt, me. hey, it's going to take time. It's going to take time to forgive. It's a natural response for us. Hey, you know what? Some of you have been struggling for forgiveness for a year. It's like, And you're like, well, I don't, you'll be sympathetic. You want to be heartfelt. Like I, I, it does. It takes time. I and mean, don't feel bad. It takes time. I mean, you need time to separate. You need time to let go. It's, it's going to take time. And some of you been working on something to forgive somebody for 15 years, 17 years, 20 years. And yet people will still tell you, it takes time. And I'm not here to refute. It takes time for humans to forgive people. I'm not telling you that that's not true and it shouldn't be true. I'm not telling you that. What I am telling you is I'm acknowledging the fact that humans tend to say it takes time. So here's my question. How long did it take Jesus? What's the amount of time it takes Jesus? A week? Does it take him a month? Because I don't know if you know this, but we really hurt him. When we put him on a cross and mocked him. How long did it take him to forgive you? Is he still working on it? This question came to my mind. And then, of course, I was reminded of another writing that John wrote. John wrote this in another letter. First John, same author, writes this in verse 9. And maybe he even has this story in his mind of this woman. Maybe he doesn't. But he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. The word confess actually just means to declare oneself guilty. It was a courtroom term. It was say, I'm guilty. And then you'd be forgiven. How long does it take Jesus to forgive? As long as it takes a person to ask. But here's what's even more fascinating about the story I just presented to you. I want you to think about two people who were forgiven and never even said a word. The woman never once said, will you forgive me? Jesus said, I will not condemn you. Before she ever even asked for it. I'm not suggesting that you don't need to confess your sins. But I'm just trying to wrap your head around the passion Jesus had, his desire, his want to forgive so quickly. Even the prodigal son who returns home has this perfect speech and the father interrupts the son and doesn't even let him get a word out before he throws his arms around him and says, Welcome home. How long does it take Jesus to forgive? Certainly, as long as it takes. Scripturally, as long as it takes you to ask. And then it's done. And I want to propose to you today, even faster than that. The moment, the thought, forgiven. And he remembers it no more. It's actually forgiven. You say, is that possible for people to do? I think it is. I want to show you a video real quick in just a minute, and I'll preface it for a second. I came across this video a few months back, and I followed the story. I think it's out of Dallas, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not trying to make a political statement. This message, this content, this idea was already here, uh, you know, months ago in the works, so this is not just me trying to make some statement, so don't take it that way. If If you did, you're missing the point. But the story is uh, a a police officer was off duty. I don't know if you know the story, true story. And uh, was going, this is the the story that she claims. I'm not choosing sides. I'm just repeating the testimony that they gave or she gave. That she uh, goes into her apartment and she enters the wrong apartment door. And she sees a man in what she thought was her apartment. She shoots him and kills him and then turns on the lights and realizes, you know, the wrong person, the wrong apartment. She freaks out. She calls 911, and you can, you know, look in all that all you want to. But that's the story. They go to trial, and they're sitting in a courtroom. And, you know, there's debate on guilty, not guilty, however you want to do it. But the brother, the younger brother of the man that was shot, and he ended up dying and killed... Goes on the stand, and it's a remarkable thing that he does. And I want you to think about this. Is it possible for you and I to forgive like Jesus? I think it is. So watch this.
1: I can speak for myself. I I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I I, I personally want the best for you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes.
0: his name is, if I'm pronunciating it correctly, Brant Jean. J-A-E-A-N. Brant Jean. What's remarkable here is um, he's 18 years old. I'm talking about setting an example. 18. Brother shot and killed by an off-duty police officer. did you hear the statement? I love you. And then he said it again. I love you as a person. I wish nothing bad for you. And just to think about where our society would be if we all lived more like Brandt. So I dug a little deeper in this and watched some interviews. One of the things that's fascinating about this young man is he's refused to do any speaking engagements. He wants no money for it. In fact, they ask him, what did she tell you? And he said, I will not tell you. He said, I'm going to keep that between me and her. And he's never told anyone what she said when she gave him the hook. It's an incredible story. But he did an interview, and this is all out there. You can watch it. But in an interview, the guy interviewing him says, you know, when did you decide to forgive her? Like, when did you decide to do this? Did you know it going into this? And I wrote it down word for word so you just the quote from him. So I want to read it to you. Previous to this, he, he makes this statement. And I'm summarizing this statement Then I'll quote. The summary is, though, he said that before, you know, he saw her, he had told his friends that he was going to kill her and that he couldn't wait for the opportunity to kill her. And how filled with rage, human tendency, lean towards condemnation. It was his human tendency to do that. And he thought about it, he talked about it with his friends, about he wanted to kill her. So that guy said, well, when did you decide to forgive her? And here's what he said. The moment he heard her apologize, everything changed. I just had, quote, to hear it once. And that is when my heart opened up. I just had to hear it once. 18-year-old young man. Can I tell you the truth? Brant John is not Jesus. But he's like Jesus. It is possible. I don't know what unforgiveness you've carried for many years in your life, but I can tell you, with Jesus, it is possible to live like him. The moment he heard it, how long did it take for Brandt to forgive this woman for shooting his brother accidentally or intentionally, whatever you may decide to say, but I don't think Brandt cared accidental or intentional because his statement was not once I knew it was an accident his statement was the moment she asked me to forgive her, the moment she said I'm sorry powerful Jesus' followers forgive like Jesus. There's no doubt in my mind that Brandt is a follower of Jesus, not by his words or his status on social media, but by the way he simply forgave a woman who caused pain. What would our world look like if this is how we lived our life? this YouTube video and I'm going to say it this way and I'm not making a political statement but I just want you to think about the world we live in and how Jesus was trying to influence a culture that leaned towards condemnation while Jesus tried to step in with an agenda to teach the world a different way of life this YouTube video has only 660,000 views if you go do some other searches of condemnations and inflictions and pain. And I won't state what case out there. 22 million views. You tell me which one our world's more obsessed with, condemnation or forgiveness. We've got to change the culture of followers of Jesus. We've got to let people know the power of forgiveness. She ends up being uh, guilty, served 10 years in prison. That was just last year, got started. So much in me, and I get it, I'm not making a political statement. I'm not the jury, I'm not all that. I just wonder what would our world look like if we lived more like Brandt, a little more like Jesus. It gives us hope. If I could tell Brant something today, I'd say thank you for giving us hope that it's possible to live like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need your help. Thank you for using Brant to impact us here in this room. And I'm certain many around. Thank you for showing up in a courtroom, displaying how you... (laughs) let the woman caught in adultery go free even the men who put her in that spot you let them go free too (laughs) how your heart passionately pursues forgiveness Jesus please help us to forgive those who've hurt us I invite you where you are to make the decision to forgive them then move forward. Jesus, help us to live like you. Help us to forgive people like you. In Jesus' name. Amen.